Ephesians chapter 4. We've been looking at this series of, of, of a kingdom, culture, family, and I appreciate Ryan's testimony in, in saying that not to be church-oriented, but to be kingdom-oriented, and I think that's what Jesus did. Jesus was far more interested in the kingdom work than he was necessarily the church. And you say, what's the difference? Well, there is a difference. The kingdom is so much bigger, so much broader. The, the kingdom is, is expansive in its, its present tense as well as future tense. God's kingdom is real big. He, he's got big work going on in, in his world. And it's not local. I mean, it is local, but that's only a part of it, and the church is, is one part of that. And I'm, I'm on, man. I, I don't know what else to do. I don't know. Check one, two. I'll, I'll just talk. Is that okay? Okay. Um, the the kingdom is big work, and we've got a, we're gonna have prayer service here at the at, oh there it is, yes, okay, wow. Um, now I can really talk. I can start all over now. Uh, t- today we're gonna have a prayer service for a, a couple of uh, very young people that are are um, going on missions. Uh, Jordan Harris is is one and. Uh, Harrison, and uh, also Anna Bates. He's going on a year-long mission trip. And, and Anna, where is Anna? Where are you at, Anna? There you are. And uh, we're going to have prayer for you at the very cl- conclusion of our service today. But they get this idea, and, and our millennial generation does, they, that, the, that the world is big and the kingdom, God's kingdom, God is at work all over his creation. And I want to talk about an area that God can be at work, and that is your home. You know, the home is a microcosm of the church and the reality of the kingdom, a kingdom-oriented home. What does that mean? Well, we've looked at it as shaped through prayer for the glory of God. And we took the five solas of the Reformation Sola Dea Gloria, that is the glory of God. So we pray for the glory of God to be expressed in our homes. And so we pray for God's will for our children and for our spouse, for each other, for our families, extended family. We pray that God's will and God's glory is worked in people's lives. Last week, I, I shared a message, Sola Christus, that is Christ alone. As Martin Luther discovered that Christ alone is the source of salvation for the glory of God, and it's shaped through prayer, as we saw, that it is for Christ, that is in Christ alone. And so we looked at, at a Christ-centered family. Now, I wanna, I'm just going to confess to you, I struggled with that. I struggled with how did you define a Christ-centered home. Notice I didn't say how do you create a religious home. How do you create or how do you shape a home 
that is Christ-centered. I struggled, I struggled with that, with that concept and with defining that. And I began to ask the question, what does it look like? If you have a Christ-centered home, what does that mean? What does it look like? How does it flesh out? And I can tell you, you know, more times than not, because I see my own life at times, I'm thinking, okay, you know, you know, this is, you know, you find, you, you see your own struggles, or you see your, whatever you deal with. And you're saying, okay, where does Christ fit in all this? And, and, and I really honestly ask myself the question, do I have a Christ-centered home? Do I have a Christ-centered life and a Christ-centered home? It's easy to go through the motions of just doing the, the next thing that is on that your time clock says to do. So how do you have a Christ-centered home? Well, I, I, came, I came up with a few things, and I struggled. I had, I had a visit. I had a lunch with a pastor, and I said, and I asked him, and he kind of looked befuddled too. And, uh, he, and he, said, he told me, he said, Greg, he said, don't think too hard. <laughs> but I do. I, I mean, I, you know, this, this was kind of driving me up the wall. And I'm like, okay, what does it mean to have a Christ-centered home? So you go to Google, right? That's where you find the answers. And I found, I found, I found a, great, a great definition by a Christian writer by the name of Kenneth Boa who talked about, who talked about a, Christ, a Christ-centered home. And here's basically what he said. He said there should be an atmosphere, and I like this, of love and acceptance, openness, forgiveness, and honesty. The Christian home is at its best when it is a positive place of fun. Constructive and creative activities, encouragement, enjoyment, and relaxed attitudes. This becomes when Christ... Now, this is the thing that holds it all together. This is what it means to have a Christ-centered home. This becomes possible when Christ is the cohesive factor in the life of a family and when parents set the example of personal commitment to Him. That is a great definition of a Christ-centered family. Now, we understand the reality of what Christ-centered family is from that definition. And where Christ is, there is love because God is love. And where Christ is, there is love and there is grace because He is the God of grace. So how does it flesh out in your life a life of grace? You sing about grace being amazing. We sing about grace. We talk about grace. Matter of fact, I I met a comment here a couple, few Sundays back that nobody, uh, you know, everybody cha- names their churches grace now. I mean, there's all kinds of grace churches. You know, if I was going to start a church, I, th- I think I'd do something novel like, you know, like, like Judgment Baptist Church. <laughs> you know, you're, you're at a bring them in, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, you know, or, or uh, uh, um, we judge you you know, whatever name you want to tag on to it, church, community church, you know, uh, but we, you know, we, you know, we're, the grace is in, I mean, it is the catchphrase. I mean, you just throw that out. I mean, the, the word grace and, and it's like, oh yeah, we get grace. I wonder if we really do though. 
Yeah, I think it's one thing to talk grace. I think it's one thing to sing grace. And I think it's one thing to say, okay, I'm accepting God's grace for my salvation. But we we only scratching the surface where grace is. Now I'm preaching. I, I honestly believe that we're only... We only scratch the surface. In other words, it's easy to put the language out there and not the lifestyle. Do you have a lifestyle of grace? And what does it look like? And what does it look like in your home? That's the question. What does it look like in your interactions with your, you know, with your, with your kids, with your family, with your spouse? What does it look like? And I can tell you there's, you know, um, it's, it's different. We know what a, we know what a, graceless environment is. We, we recognize that. I wrote a few things down. Uh, there is evidence, there is absence of love of closely related, uh, to, and closely related to that is respect. There's a lack of understanding, trust, care, and nurturing in a graceless environment. Thus, in a negative sense, there is offense, jealousy, selfish ambition, conflict, harsh words, unforgiveness, struggles for control, Quarreling, fighting, strife, earthly wisdom, sensuality, or fleshliness. James chapter 3 describes it, this as being earthly and even demonic, disorderly, and full of vile practices. In other words, and I'm writing this, in other words, the home or the church or relationships lose the desirability as a nurturing place or an environment. It becomes motivated by selfish ambition rather than Christ-centered purpose and glory. It becomes dysfunctional as a social condition. We are created to long for love. In other words, it is anything but a grace-filled environment. It becomes a culture of ungrace. And this is something that money cannot fix and legislation cannot regulate. It has deeply rooted spiritual roots in rebellion against the Creator. We see it as a social culture where weeds have overtaken the garden and the fruit of love, joy, and peace are gone. And it has taken root in the source of its nature and the torments of hell are lived out. It is the absence of grace and becomes graceless. And God has created us for so much more. He has created us to know Him and to bring glory to Him. And the greatest place that that can happen is our home. And Satan knows that. I'm just going to ask you this morning, is your home filled? With grace. Is it you've been saved by grace through faith? Martin Luther called this sola gratia. That is Latin for being grace alone. That he recognized that all the works that he could, that he could do wouldn't be enough to earn the grace of God. It is unearned and undeserved. He did not earn it. He did not deserve it. It was freely given to him as an act of God's love, his gift of grace. He recognized that, and there was a freedom in that grace. Let me say this. When that grace is lived out, not only in your relationship with God, 
It doesn't give you a compulsion to want to go out and say, okay, how can I abuse this grace? No. How can I sin more? Paul dealt with that in Romans. He didn't, it, it, it compels us to worship. It compels gratitude. It compels us to be grateful for what God has done for us. And let me ask you, how, do you, how does your family understand? How do your children understand the grace of God? And if it's not a great nurturing family, a great place to understand grace, where there's forgiveness, where there's nurturing, where there's the expression of love, where there is the, the, all, of, all of the things that nurture and, and foster a home environment. And then God puts it right down in the middle of the family, and that's where most people struggle. Many people struggle there. Uh, it's kind of like the young man and young wife. They just got married, and she baked, made the first big meal. And she was just waiting for his response. And he was eating there, and they were... And, and this is... This is he, he fumbled the ball big time. You know, uh, you know, if we were writing this story today, she would have put the meal on Facebook. You know? Created for my hubby. Oh, he's such a good man. Such a... And, and, and you know, or and, and, uh, social media kind of has a way of... Uh, you know, people put their best out there. They don't tell you the quarrels and the fights, usually arguments. You know, so she, you know she. You know, let's say say she put it out there, and she said, "Well, honey, what did you think of the meal?" And he says, "Well, well, darling," he said, "you know, you sure don't bake bread like my mama baked." And all of you ladies know that he just colossally messed up for a lifetime. And she said, "Well, honey, you don't make the dough that daddy made either." And uh, that's an old one, by the way. But all my jokes are old because it takes me 30 years to figure them out. Uh, but have you, have you ever... There's a pressure on the home and family today. Uh, especially you, 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 particularly, I think, for young ladies. Uh, you know, you see the picture on social media. And my wife and I had this conversation this morning on the way over about how, how social media can kind of creates an environment that everybody's life is so perfect and, and that's the life that you desire and, and everything. But, you know, and, and, you know, we're getting the kids ready and you do the selfie with the family and everybody looks so, you know, good together and everybody's so happy. And, and you know what? All of us here that are over, the, this is one of the advantages of being older, Ryan, know that that's just not the case. You know, I can tell you more times than not, when our kids were small, it was crying to get to the car. Right? And then when you get there, I mean, and, you know, I was so glad I was the pastor because my wife had to take care of the kids. <laughs> you know? And, and, you know, you had a two-year-old, and you had a, she had another baby, and she was like, you know, and, I, and she felt the pressure of being a pastor's wife and having to be, do, do all this and be all this. See, we feel the pressure around us. And listen, one of the people that, we're, uh, that we don't show a lot of grace to at times is ourselves. We, we don't. And, and so you feel the pressure of that, and you think that... Uh, you know, when you when you're going into an environment where there is where where that that you're you know you're you're frazzled emotionally, 
And, and the reality of all this is the reality that you and I live with today. We don't think of this, but we are being, we are being conditioned by the world. To say these are the expectations and this is what it looks like. Now, granted, that is nice, but by and large, it is not. Matter of fact, I, I was talking to a guy one time, an older gentleman, years ago, and I said, uh, "I said, you and your you and your wife ever get into kind of, you know, have disagreements?" He said, "No." And I looked at him. I said, "You're lying to me." <laughs> no. Well, uh, you need one. You know, listen. Now this is this is free. Okay, this don't cost you anything. Okay, if you're a young person here and you're considering marriage, and you're looking at, at marriage, I want you to know something. There is nothing that will challenge you more toward the end of yourself and selfish ambitions. And that's why God created it that way. He created it to where it would not center around you and your own selfish ambitions and your own selfish desires and your own self. But it's centered around Christ. So I, I, I understand, listen, I understand why couples struggle. When it's his need, her need, my want, his wants, her wants, what she, her way... And there's always then this domination for control. Who's going to control the family? Who's going to control? And then you, you begin to look at the conflict. And then you begin to look at the bitterness. And then you begin to look at resentment. And you begin to look at all kinds of things that, that are characteristic of ungrace that becomes the weeds that grow up and take over the garden. Now, not one of us here would allow weeds to grow up in our living room unless... You have chickens or something like that living in your house. But, but, the, but the reality of it is, is that these weeds just grow. They come in and they, they grow up. And they grow and, 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 and sometimes we nurture them because sometimes it's fun to nurture them. Have you ever had a pity party? What's that about? Well, it's, it's about that you're nurturing your feelings. And it felt good to be angry right and and so you nurture it and and you get and if you can get people invite people to your party and they can kind of fan the flame along and and you get kind of entrenched in it and and for some people that becomes not only a way of living it becomes a habit it becomes a lifestyle and it becomes a normal side of dysfunction Right? It's not God's way. Now, God is filled with grace. So what does this look like? And, and I want you to look in Ephesians. Paul writes, typically Pauline and how he writes this. And Paul's in prison when he's writing this. Um, and in the book of Ephesians is one of my favorite books. First three chapters, Paul deals with nothing but doctrinal issues. And they're pertinent doctrinal issues to your life. And then in chapter 4, he, uh, he, he, he gets right into this. He says, being a prisoner of the Lord, verse 1, for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. 
Be patient in, with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. There, and notice this. Then he goes into doctrine. He says there is one body, one Spirit. And just as you have been called with one glorious hope for the future, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's above all and in all and living through all, including your family. So what does he look at? I want, you to look at uh, I want us to look at a few things here. Paul deals with being in Christ. It means that I'm, to, I'm, lived in, I'm called to live out my harmony with God. And I live that out by walking in unity with my family, if you can, and with God's people. I mean, that's just very simple. Ryan said it so well. Jesus prayed for that oneness. And that oneness means that, that there, is, there is harmony in your relationship with God. If there's always static and there's also always dissonance, and, and there's, there's always this static of, of understanding who you are in Christ, then you will never... You will never, you will never find yourself at harmony and peace within yourself. I mean, the world does it very well in break in in the in the broken foundations, you know. In in broken foundations of home, family, and lives, and and the devil basically he invests in that and he capitalizes on that. Why? Because the devil wants you no better. He wants he doesn't want he doesn't want your life to be made whole. See, it's one thing to be saved, and it's another thing to be being made whole. And being made whole is, 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 is this reality that, uh, yes, I am saved and I know where I'm going, but I need that grace applied to these hurts in my life so that I am complete in Him. Here's the deal. If you look for a person on this earth to fill those gaps in your life, you will sabotage your relationship every time. You'll end up using people or being used. And there will be, there will be this, which will, again, this festers into a, an environment of ungrace where there's criticism, where there is uh, of, of conflict, and it becomes a, it, that becomes the normal. And it's not. The end. That's not the normal that God intends. God's got a better way. What if you accepted grace in your own life to say that this is the way that God accepts me, this is the way that God views me, and I'm going to go come into agreement with my Heavenly Father that in Him I am made complete. You're not made complete by another person. You're made complete by being, now listen to me very carefully, by being in Christ. So in Jesus, you allow Him into those areas of your life to heal hurts, to heal past relationships, past things, to, to bring forgiveness for yourself or for somebody else. When you allow Him into those areas of your life, you're allowing the great lover of the soul into the sacred place of your heart. To do His work. And it's Jesus who makes us whole. We believe that, right? 
Well, how does he do that? It is by grace, through faith. By grace alone. It is, in other words, it is God's, it is God's favor to you. That's grace. So as you embrace it in, in salvation, then as you, as you know that you are confident with the assurance of that relationship, then it allows you, listen, it allows you to see the world for what it is and to recognize that the world doesn't have really anything out there for you that can make your life more complete. But that you're complete in Jesus. Then you begin, you know, if you're in a single, if you're in a single scenario and you're saying, I'm thinking about a spouse or something like that, I'd like to get married one day, then you're saying, But I don't necessarily need that person to make me complete. Why? Because I'm made complete in Christ. In other words, you're looking to Christ to meet you at the deepest point of your need. And when you do that, then, then you actually bring, you become a healthy and whole person to where you can have a functional relationship. In other words, you can live out that grace. Because I want to tell you, when you get in a relationship, that's when it's really going to be tested, what you have. That's, that's, that's where it will be tested, you will be tried. There are going to be days that you're not going to feel godly and you're going to spout off at the mouth and say something you should Hallelujah, that's great preaching, Greg. <laughs> right, right? I mean, that's the truth. That's the truth. And you all pay me to say the truth. Okay? I guess, right? Notice the first word. Say it with me. Humility. Lowliness of mind. It is not self-seeking. Notice this. Paul said, do nothing, or he said, he's in Philippians, he said, do nothing for selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each other regard one another as more important than himself. Okay, just go ahead and take a deep breath. We read that. I struggle with that. Does anybody here struggle with that? My wife will tell you I struggle with that. Right, honey? You're going to be kind. You are kind. I struggle with that. You all pray for me. I struggle with that. It is very easy for me to be have Gregitis. <laughs> right? I, you know. It, it's easy for us to have our own itis. Itis. And so it's easy to be... Notice here, it is not self-exalting. Now, we can do this. There are spiritual ways to be self-exalting, by the way. And if anybody's been a Christian here or a follower, I mean, you know that. I mean, there's little subtle things that you can do to be self-centered and self-exalting, right? Okay, we'll go on from that. I'm meddling now. It's not self-debasing either. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility. The worship of angels, intruding on those things have not seemed vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Notice here, it is not a false sense of humility. Well, I'm just the most humble person around. That's not it either. So it's not self-exalting, which is this conceit, or this like, yeah, it centers around me, and we wouldn't say that, but we deal with it. Or it's not this self-debasing kind of thing, which I can do this too. I've played that card as well. You know, oh, woe is me. And ain't that right, honey? 
<laughs> We're going to have a good conversation on the way home. So it's, it's not self-debasing and it's not self-exalting. Humility is not weakness. So what is he talking about here? It humbly embraces who you are in Christ. Now that's what humility is. Humility is humbly embracing that you are in Christ and God's favor for you. So you begin to, you begin to get a heavenly framework. Not what the world expects, but you begin to look at what humility looks like from a standpoint of being connected with God. So that is, lowliness of mind is humbly embracing. There is a submission to this. Now think of this. There is a submission to this that Paul is talking about here, that this lowliness of mind, it is embracing who you are in Christ. Now, I want to tell you, I believe if you can get past number one, I believe if this can, can, can become the foundation for your life, what's going to happen in your life is this. When you begin to accept who you are in Christ, you will begin to, you will begin to look at what He says as truth over what you feel at times. Because some of you have records that are playing in your mind. It could be from a parent that's saying, yeah, you're not enough. You, need, you could do better than that. Yeah, you, you know, yeah, you failed there. Or it could be some of these things that play in your mind that, that, that remind you of how inadequate that you are or how not enough you're, that you are or how guilty you should be. There's all kinds of play, the things that come in our mind that sabotage the reality of what God wants us to see and how God wants us to see ourselves. And when you grasp and begin to grasp who you are in Christ, you'll begin to walk in the reality of forgiveness and that your security is in Him emotionally and that, and that the reality of His power and His mind is at operation in you and it was nothing in you that you could point to yourself about. Why? Because it was all because of His grace based on His love. You get this one right and you begin to, you begin to take those areas that are broken in your life, in your relationships. You begin, to, you begin to, to take those and allow that to be a healing salve to your heart. In other words, if you were here this morning and you are here, and you're saying, man, you just described me, Greg, then I would go and I would read through, I would read through Ephesians chapter 1 a bazillion times, and I'd get on my knees, and I'd say, God, let this truth, speak, let it, Sink down into the depths of my heart. Let it sink down to the depths of my heart till I begin to see myself the way you see me. That's humility. You say, well, I may have to read it a gazillion times every day. Then read it a gazillion times every day. This is what God says about you, beloved. And when you begin to see yourself the way God sees you, what you will find is that He will lift you on a higher plane and it will give you a resolve in how to deal with relationships. That's the key. You know, if anybody had an opportunity, by the way, to have their own pity party, it was the Apostle Paul. Look where he's at when he's writing this. 
And so, lowliness of mind. Now, the second one is this. I'm going to go through this. Humility, you see, C.S. Lewis, I love this quote, is, is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Isn't that good? Wish I'd have said that. C.S. Lewis said this, one of the great Christian thinkers of our age. The second thing that you see is it's, there is a gracious gentleness through a submissive yieldedness to God. So he said, he says, let, let, it, let, let her be meekness. Now, Jesus has had, I mean, there's nobody that's, that's impacted human history like Jesus. Jesus was meek and mild. Uh, he's coming back as a warrior king, but he was meek and mild. And, and what this meekness is, is it's, it's a lowliness, it's a gentleness. It works itself out of gentleness in relationships because there is a confident, submissive yieldedness to God. Now think of that. That's what it is. In other words, it lives itself out with a gentleness. In other words, there's not a harsh word in this. There may be truth, and the truth may hurt, but it's done with such a gentleness. Has there been anybody that ever had the opportunity to speak truth in your life, and, and you can hear it harshly, or you can hear it with gentleness, and, they, and people can say basically the same thing, and one says it with an attitude that's harsh, and the other one says it with an attitude like, man, I know they really love me. And you want to go hug the other one, and the other one's like, you know, get out of here. Right? Notice this. Gracious gentleness through a submissive yieldedness to God. Now, most of us don't like that submissive yieldedness. I'll just tell you, that's where I struggle. We all struggle there. This submissive yieldedness to God, it's like, oh, yeah, I submit to Him. Okay, God, I submit to you. It's, it's this. It is you giving up the right to control. Now, that's hard. I mean, there's nothing that any of us like more than being in control, right? But what, I mean, have you ever been in some things in your life that are not in your control? How about you dealing with sickness? I mean, there's things in all of our life. The sooner we can learn this, and if this can become a habit of our heart where we submissively yield to God, then it works itself out in this ease in our own life, in our own countenance, where we don't have to control people to get them to do what we want. No. It works itself in this gracious gentleness. Why? Because I'm just trusting that God's in control. Paul had really had no other choice other than to have a pity party and to operate in the flesh. He didn't. So it works itself out in this graciousness. This, this, this reality of, of grace in words and in attitude and in speech. By the way, Paul said to do this, if you want unity in your home or harmony in your home, then bust a gut to do it. The word there in chapter in verse 4 is spadazo. It means to bust a gut. It, it break a leg, we'd say. And other, everything that you do with all your might to keep unity and harmony in your home or in your life, you do that. You bust a gut to do it. In relationships, do it as a church, and you do that. This is how it looks. This is what it looks like. Here's the third thing. Um, as we look at, at this, um, this is inward grace enables us to accept what God allows in our lives without resistance. That's an inward grace that God gives you. I mean, there's people that are going through things, and I'm looking at how in the world are they going through? They're dealing with sickness. And the only thing I can say, it's a God's grace. 
It's a, it's a grace that God allows, that, that He gives. Long-suffering. Say this with me. Long-suffering. Talk about suffering here below. Right? Long-suffering. It relinquish, relinquishes retaliation while extending grace. In other words, it does this. Long-suffering means that you don't, you don't, hold, the, you don't hold the grudge and the get-even. You, you don't, there's not a retaliation. Why? Because you've been extended grace. And God hasn't retaliated against you. He's shown grace. So it relinquishes the right of retaliation, and it is long. It is the very opposite of being short-tempered. The very opposite. And extends it extends grace. Here's the last one. You'll be blessed by this one, by the way. Forbearance. It is grace to bear under and with others. Anybody ever get on your nerves? Come on. Y'all are just too godly. You ever, you ever, what? Oh, Brian. I, I mean, the, this idea, just say it with me, forbearance. Say it, four. I, it just kind of falls off your tongue, doesn't it? Forbearance. It is grace to bear with. And I've, I've, I've preached this kind of a, another message, too. It's, it's, it's real fancy, regardless of their idiosyncrasies. The things that just get under your nerve, get on your skin, under your nerve. That's called forbearance. And it's a Christian virtue. That's what grace looks like. It, it bears under. It by, bears under in their weakness. And it bears with and bears under people. It helps them. It, it forbears them. It kind of, yeah, I get the idea of helping bear a load. It, it's, it's a grace. And you recognize that you have your own. And we all do. I have mine. And we bear with one another. Why? Because grace compels us to. Grace is the virtue. And the virtue is forbearance, but grace is the apparatus, the vehicle that carries it along in your life. Now, this is, these are difficult. I'd like to tell you that these are easy. And I can tell you flat out right now that you can't do these without Christ. You can't do these without a submission to the Holy Spirit that says, Lord, you feel me in my life that I can love like Jesus loves, not only in my family, my children, and my wife, my husband, my neighbors. You can't do that within your own self. It's not a self, it is not a virtue that is derived from being turning over a new leaf or being a better person. It is, it is a virtue that is derived by coming to the foot of the cross and being submitted to your Lord and Master. Now that's the reality of it. And to do it any other way is to say, oh, I can do this on my own. I'm better than that. Yeah, right. Oh, I, can, I, I don't need, I don't need, you know, you're just, you know, it's like Peter when, you know, Jesus was, when they were, you know, the big Last Supper scene and they're around there and Jesus is saying, one of you is going to betray me and they're all like, it's not going to be me. Lord, you know, Peter said, Lord, you know I love, I love you. I wouldn't deny you. 
you. You know, what was Peter's problem? Peter didn't know himself. The problem is we don't know ourselves. And the fact of it is we need more of grace and more of Christ than we have any earthly inclination. Now, that's the truth. And I'm, let me tell you, it starts right here. It starts with ourselves. See, I look at this message and I'm saying, oh, God, Craig, you have got a lot to work on. And then I look, oh, no, Lord, I can't. <laughs> I give it to you. And, and see, it's just a reminder of me to go to the cross. It's a reminder to me to, get, to follow my knees to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help. I, I, I need your strength. I need your grace to be this kind of person. Okay, i got to quit. But I hope the Holy Spirit has pinpointed some things in your own thinking, in your own life. And the only thing I'm going to say, I'm going to give an invitation. I'm just going to, I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to take this message and take it home and say, Okay, Lord. You, you know, you brought out something in this message that... that I obviously needed. The Holy Spirit was speaking to me, and I just want to ask you. First of all, if I'm not seeing myself clearly as, as how Christ sees me, then I can then then that area is in my life. I want to yield it to you that I can begin to see you how how you how much you love me and how accepted I am in you. I want you to feel that hole in my heart. And Lord, if 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 there's areas here that that are just blatant realities of the old man or the old flesh nature, then I want to give them to you and ask Christ to fill those and replace those. Do that. Do that. God, if there's areas in my life that I need to extend forgiveness, then, and, and I'm, you know I'm struggling with it because my, this has a real hold, strong hold on my feelings, then I'm, I'm going to give this to you. The uncertainties, the inadequacies that i felt all of my life by things that people have said, I, I'm, I'm not going to retaliate and I'm, not going to, I'm going to relinquish the right to control and give it to you. I, I don't know what you do with this message, but the Holy Spirit knows what you need to do. And you do. So let's pray. Father, we recognize our utter inability and our desperation for grace. And I pray that these Christian virtues that we've looked at this morning, Lord, would be a part of our lives. And we know that we'll get it right when we see you face to face. The old nature is gone. But, Lord, we live in the now, and there's a Monday morning. And I just ask that the power of your Spirit would do your work in my life and in our lives for Jesus. That the world can see what grace looks like, Lord, because we're not seeing it anywhere. And we are are the people that call ourselves by this name. And we, we need you. We need you, Lord. Desperately need you. So do what you will with this message. The things that have been good, the things that have been helpful, I pray that you'd use them. The things that haven't, I pray, Lord, that they'd be forgotten.
We all want Christ in his glory. In his name we pray.